0: It's my privilege to bring the Word of God to us. And (laughs) it's funny, I've been, Revelation's been like my favorite book since I was first born again a long time ago. But only recently have I realized that the only way to understand the book of Revelation is by Revelation. The book of Revelation, capital R, is only understood by Revelation, small r. And the book of Revelation is full of small r, revelation. These are pictures that are shared in writing and captured for our benefit. But when, when you receive a revelation, you remember where you were when you received the revelation, and it sticks. That's why this book of the Bible in particular, this may be true of every book of the Bible, but it is clearly true of the book of Revelation. It can only be understood as a revelation. Turn with me, please, this morning to chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, and it begins with these three words. Then I saw... Understand these words. Then I saw. This is a revelation. John is writing about a revelation that he is receiving and he's recording this for us. And it's the only way to really understand it. Now, what we're going to come to this morning answers a major question that, frankly, many of us are asking today, but In our study of the book of Revelation, they were asking the same question in the first century, and that is, with so many cataclysmic things going on in the world around us, what is the role of the church? Does the church have any influence in the world today? What's the role of the church? Or are we to just hunker down in our bunkers and ride out the storm, ride out the last few days or the f- last few years of world history? What is the posture the church is to assume? Now, we got the first answer last week in chapters eight and nine, we saw the first call on the church. The first assignment given to the church is the church on its knees in prayer before the Lord. We saw in chapter 8 there was silence in heaven in the middle of the of the um, uh, of the opening of the, of the seals there there was this silence and it was because God is bending down listening to the prayers of the saints so that the Christians in the early, in the first century, in the early church, did not miss the essential role that they had to fulfill in impacting not only the Roman world, but the whole flow of human history. Brothers and sisters, God wants you and me to wake up to the role that we have to play coming down the stretch of world history. Our primary assignment as a church is in prayer, on our knees, before the Lord, impacting the flow of human history. That's the call number one on the church. Now this morning, chapters 10 and 11. Here we see another interlude. The first, in chapter 8, was with the opening of the seven seals of the scroll, and between the 6th and the 7th, there was silence, It was this interlude, because as the final events of history are flowing, God wants the church to know its role is prayer. Now, uh, in chapter 8 and 9, we move from the seven seals of the scroll to the seven trumpets given to the seven angels. Now, we've heard six of the trumpets. Now, in chapters 10 and 11 there's this interlude before the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And in this interlude, as all these cataclysmic events are taking place around the globe, horrible things, natural disasters of astronomical proportion, economic upheaval, political upheaval, Overthrowing of one nation by others. There's, there's international war and turmoil. Financial collapse around the world. There's all these critical issues going on around the world. But then there's this interlude. Chapter 10 and 11. And it's because God wants his church to realize that when all these cataclysmic things are taking place around the world, And there's all this upheaval. He wants the church to know what the role of the church is in society today. Now we've seen last week, again, the role is prayer, but that's not all. Is that all that we do is just pray? No. And now we come to chapter 10. Follow along with me. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. Quite a guy. He had a little scroll opened in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, keep reading. And called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders uh, had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And then the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he had announced to his servants, the prophets. So now what's happening here? You've got this giant angel with a a puny little uh, scroll. It's like a booklet. And it's open. But this guy has one foot in the sea and one foot on land. Now, this is very significant because next week we are going to see the rise of a beast out of the sea and the rise of a beast out of the land. But before we're introduced to the beast, we see an angel with one foot. Uh, in the sea and one foot on dry land, representing the fact that this angel has authority over the sea and over the land. So before we're introduced to these two puny beasts that will come on, on the world scene, one a political leader, one a religious leader, they're going to be raised up out of the sea and out of the land. We, before we're introduced to the beasts, we're introduced to this angel. This angel has dominion over the beasts. Yes. Sometimes we think, "Oh man, at the end of time, it's going to come down to the wire," kind of like this election. It's like you know, it's going to be a draw. It's going to be like you know, if they turn from red states to blue states, it's like the devil's ahead for a while, and then the Lord's going to be ahead. I'm not saying who was who the devil and who's the. I'm not getting into that. Uh, don't don't pull me off sides on this one. All I'm all I'm saying is sometimes we think that's how the end of time is going to go. It's so ridiculous, people. We do not have to be afraid of either beast. Because here we're introduced to the picture an angel is greater than either of the beasts. Yes. An angel, let alone Christ. Christ, of course, is so much greater than all the angels, but even an angel is greater than both of those beasts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, now John intuitively wants to write down what he's seeing because in chapter 1, you remember, the angel said to John, write these things down and share them with the churches. So now he's getting another revelation. He's about to write it down. And, and the Lord says, no, don't write this one down. And it's the importance of getting your assignment straight. There's, there's times God will give you a revelation and he wants you to share with somebody else. There's a time you get a revelation that's meant just for you. Don't, don't, don't run on cruise control. You need to be listening to what the Holy Spirit's telling you. It's not a one rule fits all. This, this, this time God, it's, he's saying, no, don't write this. This one's just for you. But now watch what, how this unfolds. It's so fascinating. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, and I told him, give me the little scroll. Uh, you got to get a kick out of this. Um, this, this. This angel is probably like the size, like, he's at least 20 feet, 30, 50. Feet, who knows how huge? This guy's huge. John's a little pipsqueak in comparison. But, but the Lord told him, go, go get the scroll. So little pipsqueak John goes up to this gigantic angel and says, hey, give me that scroll in your hand. I love that. He had authority. He had a word from the Lord. And and the voice said, when you take it, I want you to eat it. And it's going to taste sweet to your mouth, but it's going to make you sick to your stomach. Have you ever eaten something and then uh, an hour or so later wish you hadn't? (laughs) Uh, Well, that's what John is experiencing here. So he goes to the angel, he takes the scroll, and and it, and it unfolds, verse 11. After he eats it, it was sweet when he tasted it, but it got bitter in his stomach, and then he's told, verse 11, the last verse of chapter 10, I was told you must again prophesy. Just when John thought his days of preaching were over, now God pulls him up, out of exile, he's in exile on the island of Patmos, he thought he'd never preach to an audience again, and now God's recalling him, basically saying, I don't care if the Roman Empire shut you down, I'm reactivating you. You're going to prophesy. And this is a big ministry, not just to a, a little place. He says, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings, not just to... To little Caesar over there in Rome but to the kings of the earth now think about this John is is alienated, he's ostracized, he is living in isolation as a political prisoner of Rome for preaching thinking his days of preaching are done and now out of nowhere God gives him a revelation and he says now that book you eat it, and then you're going to preach it. Now, I, 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 the Lord told me when I started, when I was in college studying to preach, to minister, when I went to seminary studying to lead a church and all those things, the Lord said, Fred, you need to get this down now. You need to feed on this book for yourself First. Don't you dare get in the habit of preparing meals to serve other people. You've gotta eat it yourself first. You know what I'm saying? You need to study the word for yourself. Frankly, I have so many friends that have bombed out in ministry because all they did was cook food to to feed others and they never fed themselves. God tells John, eat it yourself, John. And brothers and sisters, God wants you to be a feeder on God's word. He wants me to do it, but he wants you to do it. Now, it will be sweet to your, your, your mouth. It says in Psalm 19 that the word of God, the law of the Lord, is sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. It will satisfy you. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We feed on his word. We feed on it. We, we read it. We study it. We memorize it. We obey it. That's feeding on the word of God. We internalize what the word is teaching. But then it doesn't end with us. Everything God puts in you, he puts in you so you can give it away. And that's, What you receive that's sweet sometimes will be rejected and taste bitter when you share it with others. And that's what John was warned about. Now, if that was the only interlude from the sixth trumpet to the seventh, we'd get the message, but it's not. Now look at chapter 11 in chapter 11 we are introduced to these two guys called two witnesses now they're identified in verse 3 the two witnesses and it says they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth now now understand these two guys clothed in sackcloth what do you think they were preaching One word, repentance. Mm -hmm. Repentance. Repentance. That's why they're clothed in sackcloth. We've been saying it through our whole study in the book of, of Revelation. Church, our default setting as a church needs to be repentance. God wants repentance to be active and alive in our lives continuously. Hallelujah. You didn't repent just the moment you got saved. God wants to cultivate ongoing repentance. He reveals pockets of sin that we didn't know about the moment we were saved. God leads us in ongoing repentance. These two guys, it says in verse 4, are described like two olive trees. That means that they were prolific. They were uh, bearing much fruit. And two lampstands, they they were shining. Uh, they, They had a powerful witness to all. And it says that they stand before the Lord of the earth. They ministered his presence, in the presence, from the presence, about the presence of the Lord. And then it says that God protected them supernaturally. Verse 5 says that, that anybody that wanted to touch them, like to take them out, God would torch them. God protected these guys supernaturally. Nobody could lay a finger on them. And verse 6 God gives gives these two guys supernatural power to to close up the heaven, to tell it not to rain, and it won't rain. And then he can, uh, by the word of their mouths, they can change the flow of rivers and and so forth. It's a powerful description. And then it says in verse 7, when they have finished their testimony, when they have finished their testimony, the beast, and this is the first we, we hear of a beast, uh, this beast, and we're going to get to him next week, but the beast is going to kill these guys. Going to kill them, and their bodies will be exposed 24/7 for three and a half days, likely on the streets of Jerusalem, for the world to look at. Every news feed, every YouTube channel will be glued to this. These Two bodies, and there's a reason. It says in verse 10 that the reason everyone on earth will be rejoicing that these two guys are now dead, look at what it says in verse 10. It says, because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. A torment. Now, they weren't tormenting like, in a nasty way, the, what, but what was tormenting was the fact that they were speaking the truth. In an alternate universe that is redefining reality in order to support the ideology within that universe, anyone who issues a wake-up call and say, uh, the things you're calling good are actually evil, and the things that you're calling evil are actually good. That voice in the kingdom of God will become the enemy. And their voice will feel like it's tormenting because the conscience is being raised up. The accountability before God is being raised up because of these two prophets. But then, don't end with verse 10, look at verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of God will enter them. And they stood up on their feet. And everybody freaks out. (gasps) You know, there's graffiti everywhere. There's mockery. And now, (gasps) because God will always have the final say. And the same God who raised His son from the dead in Jerusalem will raise up these two guys in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. 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 And then, don't end with verse 11. Look at verse 12. Then everybody's going to hear this voice coming from heaven. Come up here. And You know, there'll be a thousand phones recording this as they go. The same Jesus who ascended right outside of Jerusalem is now gonna raise, these two will be ascended into heaven. Physically, on an invisible elevator, God's gonna take them right up to heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a revelation. Yes. That's a revelation. Now, who are these two guys? Well, I believe, Pastor, what do you think? I believe that these two guys will be real guys who are going to really be killed and who are really going to be raised from the dead and who are going to be Uh, ascended into heaven. I believe it. But at the same time, I am confident that those two guys who are real guys, people just like you and me, that they represent the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah. Now why do we say that? Because The law and the prophets are the two witnesses over the world. That's what they are. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Don't you ever let your pastor or anybody else tell you that the law and the prophets were for then. Now we got Jesus. We don't need the Old Testament of the law and the prophets. That is a lie. It's totally a distortion. It's, it's, It's horrendous. The law and the prophets will continue, and they are the witnesses. Now, the other reason there's good uh, evidence to say that these two represent the law and the prophets is because Moses and the law, Elijah and the prophets. Now, Elijah was taken to heaven. He did not die a natural death. His body is not on earth. His body went to heaven, and so, what, what, he's already experienced this, so this is nothing for him. Oh, whoa, here we go again. We're gonna go, okay, no problem for Elijah. Now Moses' tradition, Jewish tradition says that the same thing happened to Moses. We know that God took him out to see the promised land and then we don't know. No, there's, there's no record of what happened, but the tradition within the Jewish system is that his body was, was ascended into heaven. And so there you've got further evidence that these two intentionally represent the law and the prophets. So, are there gonna be two guys? Yes. And do those, what do those two guys say to us? Those two guys say to us that in Jesus Christ, here on earth, the church will always be on earth the testimony that Jesus works because they will be the counterculture testament to the law and the prophets. In our own strength, none of us can obey the law, but in the power of the resurrection, we sure can. The law and the prophets are being fulfilled in us because of Jesus. And so, no, no, no. We're about to look at the seventh trumpet. We've had the sixth in chapters 10 and 11. I'm sorry, in, in, uh, in 8 and 9. Now we come to this interlude in 10 and 11. Why? To let the church know that when we begin seeing cataclysmic things happening around us in society that we feel are threatening our existence and our way of life, don't for a moment hunker down and think the church is just supposed to ride out the storm. No, the church has two purposes, to pray and to preach, to serve the Lord on our knees and to serve our neighbor on our feet. That's the call of the church. Yes. And it's the message of the book of Revelation for the church today. Amen. It was interesting, and I found this fascinating. Monday, I've never prayed so much for an election. And, and I am so thankful that God gave me that calling. And I've never mobilized so many people to pray. And, and I'm, I'm glad the Lord has put that in my spirit. But Monday before, on the eve of the election results, the Lord gave me one word. And he said, when it's revealed who's elected, I've got one thing for you. I want you to be a witness to your neighbors. That was it. I thought he was gonna tell me about the election results. I thought he was gonna tell me about Whatever. That was what he said. And of all things, he spoke that to my spirit on Monday morning before we came over here for our wonderful night of prayer on Monday on Election Eve. And without even thinking, that's the theme of this message this morning. Just as John was given the word to eat, to apply to his own life, and, the, and a recalling to the ministry of preaching to the nations. Yeah. God is telling the church in persecuted, crazy days, your role is not done. You have a role to testify to me, to be my witness on earth through these crazy days. Hallelujah. And then followed up by chapter 11, where these two witnesses sit over the church, and are being lived out within the church by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our lives are being transformed to be more like Christ in fulfilling the law and the prophets. Hallelujah. Then we come to verse 15. We're going to wrap it up here because it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever." Hallelujah! Hallelujah. If that doesn't get you cranked up, uh, there is something wrong. The kingdom—it's singular. There are literally a thousand kingdoms. There's hundred thousand kingdoms in the world that make up the world system. But here it's singular, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will sit over every other little kingdom and over the corporate kingdom of the world system. This is what everything's moving toward. This is what all of history is moving toward. It's not moving to to chaos. We are moving from chaos to order. When the kingdom of this world system becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, I want you to circle one word there in verse 15, and it's the word his, his Christ Christ. We know that with the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdom of our Lord, he's our Lord, and of his Christ. Now we're going to see this next week and in a few weeks to follow, but this world has produced Christ's and will yet produce more Christ's there will be a proliferation of Christs, but every Christ other than his Christ is anointed by people. Yeah. They are our Christs. They're the world's Christ. They are not his Christ. There's only one that is his Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Don't ever be confused. Hallelujah. There's two more pieces of application. I think we'll get it in. The beginning of chapter 11. John is shown and again it's a vision, it's a revelation. The temple. And he's told measure the inner courts don't measure the outer courts. And I just, I can't let this go by without exhorting us. What this means, church family, is measuring is holding it accountable. See if it's on track. See if it's, it's meeting the specifications. See if it's following the guidelines from heaven. Measure the inner courts. The inner courts, that's us. That's the church. We have access to the inner courts. The church is what God wants us to hold accountable. And then he says, Don't, would you quit measuring the outer courts? That's where the nations are doing what nations do. Unbelievers do what unbelievers do. And I'm telling you, church, we are way too obsessed over what's happening in our society rather than being concerned about what's happening inside the church. I'm telling you, it's not our job to measure society. Society's gonna go bad. It's gonna go skewing in many different directions. It's not our job to be, sit judgmentally and be self-righteous towards the world. Don't be self-righteous toward your neighbors. Neighbors do what neighbors do. Love them. Be a witness to them. Hallelujah. Now, now one final one final word I want you to turn back, and it will all fit together here. I want you to turn back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. And it says here Jesus is speaking to the church in Pergamum, and he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. In other words, I know you got a tough. You're up against a lot. I, I understand that. I know where you dwell. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, and then these next three words make me cry every time I read them. Antipas, my faithful witness. My faithful witness. Would you say those words with me? My faithful witness. Let's say it again. My faithful witness. Again. My faithful witness. The reason this hits me is when I discovered what the name Antipas means. Antipas is a it's a short name, but it's compound. Anti, anybody can recognize that, means against. Pas, if you know any Latin or, or Greek, you know pas means all. Antipas is, he stood against all. <coughs> My faithful witness, Antipas, who stood with me against all. There's a positive way of saying this. Antipas dared to stand alone. There is only one way that you and I will be faithful witnesses. There's only one way that you and I will be able to be called by him, my faithful witness. I want Jesus to look at me any time, any day and say, my faithful witness. You've been faithful to the word. My faithful witness. That's what I want. I want to live according to this word. I want my, by my lifestyle and by my preaching, I want to be God's faithful witness. There's an anointing here. The anointing is a standalone anointing. Yeah. There is nothing I pray for more for my grandchildren that they receive an Antipas anointing to stand alone. Yeah. At that is a latter day anointing. My faithful witness. It's the precursor to these two guys in chapter 11, my two witnesses. My faithful, my one and only. You know what witness means? Witness is the Greek word spelled this way, M A R T Y R. That's the Greek word translated witness. Do you recognize the word there? Literally, the word witness means a truth teller. When you, have, when you go to court, you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I, I promise to tell the truth, all truth, and nothing but the truth, sell me God. You take an oath to be a faithful witness. That's all a truth teller. That's what a witness is. But it has become known as a truth teller who lays down his life. The latter-day anointing to be God's witness, his truth-teller, to stand alone, is for you to step into today. Today. To receive from the Lord that anointing that will empower you to be his faithful witness, his truth-teller, even when it may cost you your life. God has blessed me in so many ways. I never dreamt I'd be traveling around the world nine times a year and some of the places God's given me the privilege to go. I want to tell you just one story. When, I think it was seven years ago or so, Sherry and I, it might have been longer than that, but we went to Iraq. A few years after Desert Storm, um... uh, Saddam was dead and the country was being rebuilt and it was really a mess. But Sherry and I went. It was a miracle we could get in. And we met north of Baghdad. We drove past guns that had barrels like this thick. And they were like this long. They were literally like 15, 20 feet long, guns that we drove past. I kind of ducked every time we drove past one. And of all things, there were Christians from Baghdad who came to our conference. There were Christians from the north in Musul and in the south in Basra. 129 gathered with us for four days. And by the end, they were calling us mom and dad. And when, when they went to leave, they hugged us, I'll never forget it. They held us, like we don't wanna let go. And they looked at us in the eyes and said, with their Arabic accent, saying, we will never forget what you've told us. We don't know what the future will hold for us. But you've helped prepare us for whatever the days hold in the future. I'll never forget this. And I became Facebook friends with 40 of them. 40. And they were all young adults, like your age, all from Mosul. And after, and they were sending me prayer requests, and Sherry and I would pray for these guys by name. We would pray. And, and big, big requests, amazing things, terrible things they were sharing with us. And then it went silent. I'd, I'd messaged them nothing, silent. It was awful. And then we got word that the vast majority, that ISIS had overtaken and created a caliphate in Mosul. The young girls were raped and killed and the young men were all killed. These are my friends. These are my Facebook friends. There's 40 of them. They're all in heaven today. But I will never forget their hugs and watching them turn from, releasing their arms from around my neck to get on a bus And I felt like I'd never see these people again, but I didn't know why. Not till we get to heaven. Faithful witnesses. This is not imaginary. God's calling you. He wants to give you an anointing to be a faithful witness, to stand alone And to be a truth-teller, even if it costs you your life. It says in Acts 1-8, Jesus said this, you will be my martyrs, you will be my truth-tellers when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will preach, you'll share, you'll testify, you'll tell the truth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's time to receive that anointing. This is the latter day anointing. And it validates the role of the church until Jesus comes. If you're wondering, well, when do we hunker down? If you are still breathing and you still have a pulse, you don't hunker down. You pray and you preach. That's what we're here for. It's not complicated. We have a role, a strategic role to play. No one will take your place on earth. It's yours to fulfill. And the call of God is on you today. Would you stand with me, please? All around the room. If you have a mask, I'm going to ask you to access it now, and I'm going to ask you to put it on. We're going to sing half a song, and then we're going to end with another song. But before we go... I want to give you an opportunity to slip out and to come to the front. If you forgot your mask today, please remember next week, we ask everyone to wear a mask out of courtesy and out of just being polite to each other because we love each other. But if you forgot it, we're glad you're here, no harm, no foul. But I, 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 can, I cannot give you permission to come because we are going to be standing a little bit in proximity to each other. So if you forgot your mask, no problem, but please don't come forward. But in a moment, I wanna call us as a church to come before the Lord and to say, Lord, anoint me. Pour out your spirit on me and make me your truth teller that I would stand alone and tell the truth even if no one stands with me. And even if it cost me my life, would you anoint me this morning? To go the distance, to never deny Christ, to be your truth teller on earth as long as I have breath. Would you anoint me? Uh, if that's your heart this morning, I'm gonna ask you to come. Spread out across the front. You're welcome to even come up and stand spread out here on the platform. Those with masks, please come. Come. Come and receive from the Lord. This is a time of activation. Holy Spirit, come now. Pour out your presence on us, Lord. Pour out your presence. Lord, I pray that anointing that would empower us to be faithful truth-tellers even when we stand alone and even if it costs us our lives. Father, minister this message down into our spirit Lord, as we began, we asked for the ministry of your spirit and your word, and Lord, I pray that your word would do the work now and put this vision in our spirit, that we will never turn back, we will never second guess. Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would be true to you regardless. We're gonna sing a song here, and as we sing, make this your prayer as we come before the Lord hold your hands out. Father, it's your power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will fulfill this vision in us as your people. Fulfill it here, Lord. Lord, that you will look at Lilburn and say to us as a people, as a church, here in this town at this time in northeast Atlanta, and call us your faithful witness. Lord, find us faithful. Empower us to be faithful. We're not perfect. Lord, our neighbors don't want perfect people. They want real people, authentic people. Lord, we free ourselves from unfair weights and measures. We break them off, and we break off the religious spirits in Jesus' name. And Lord, we come under the Holy Spirit to anoint us to fulfill your kingdom on earth to represent you, to be your faithful witness, Lord, to stand alone. Lord, Lord, I receive that anointing today to stand alone in Jesus' name. Though none go with me, still I will follow in Jesus' name. And Lord, we want to see fruit. We want to see results. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see people saved and their lives changed. We want to see marriages healed. We want to see people that are addicts set free from addictions. We want to see your kingdom come, Lord. Lord, and and the miracles that you promised to these two guys, Lord, here we are. Work those miracles here among us, in Jesus' name. The protection you gave those two guys, protect us, Lord. Until our time is through, protect us. We, We receive your protection over us and our children and our grandchildren, in Jesus' name. Protect us, in Jesus' name. Until we're done, We complete the job you've given to us. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, we break off the spirit of this age. We break off the spirit of cool. It's impossible to strive to be cool and to be a faithful witness. It's impossible. You can't please God and the crowd. Jesus has said that time and time again. The Bible's full of that. And Lord, we break off this world system of trying to be cool, of trying to impress people, trying to be popular. Lord, we break that off. We break that off of our youth in Jesus' name. We break that off of middle school and high school and off ourselves and our, from our neighbors and in the workplace. Lord, in Jesus' name, we bust that off. Lord, we are clearly the church of the counterculture. And Lord, no matter what that means, we sign on. We're in, we're in. We're all in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, you are doing supernatural things here in our day, and we love you for it. Continue to do this, Lord. We want to walk in ongoing humility and in the fear of the Lord. Continue, Lord, and in ongoing repentance. Continue to reveal discrepancies in our lives that are that are undeserving of the blood of Jesus. You died for more. You rose from the dead not to keep us living in the gutter. Change our lives. From the inside out, change us. Continue to change us. And put us on display, Lord, like those two witnesses. And Lord, we we increase our appetite for the word of God that we would eat it and it would be sweet to us even if it's bitter when we share it to others. Lord, we want to be faithful and true. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I just wanna say, if you just look at me for a moment, I just wanna say, I love you. I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for these days that we get to walk together. I'm so glad that it's not just one or two of us or five or 10 or 20, but every one of us are significant in these days and we bless each other. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Please be safe. I love one another. Let's fulfill our purpose here. Prayer before the Lord and to preach with our neighbors. We've got a great song. God bless you as you make your way back and I hope you stay and sing your hearts out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.